Libby, we've been on the road for so long. It's time to get something to eat. Let's pull into this burger world right here. Oh, I love burger world. Wow, it's, it's good to be back here. Hey, wait a second. That's a new clown. Uh, just a minute. Damn it, Beavis, put that away. You're not supposed to have your penis out when you're cooking. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Drive up to the clown. It's a burger world town. The fries are crispy, the shakes are creamy, the double continental witch cheese is dreamy. Hello, and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rocking good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name's Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what's going on? <laughs> Not much. Uh, this one this one was my pick. This, You could absolutely blame this one on me. This, this is the, the most Libby soundtrack we've ever covered. For now. It could get more Libby. Yeah, to date, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a good time with it. I, I, I genuinely enjoyed this one. I know. This was a movie that, like, that you liked and uh and had a good soundtrack it actually held up so we are of course talking about 1988's married to the mob the jonathan demi picture starring matthew modine and michelle pfeiffer which is an extremely 80 sentence to say it really is and this is if you're anything like us and you're you know, in your mid to late 30s, you definitely saw this at least 10 times on basic cable when you were a kid. It was mm-hmm. everywhere. It played all the time. <laughs> but you probably haven't heard the soundtrack in a while because it is out of print. And even if you watched the movie, you probably haven't heard the soundtrack because many of the songs on the soundtrack are not in the movie, as far as we know. Which is unfortunate because it really is a spectacular soundtrack when you listen to it on its own. It really is, yeah. It's it's uh. It's night. It's uh, the most 1988 album I think I can remember. Yeah, I, to. I mean, we've got Debbie Harry, we've got Chris Isaac, we've got New Order, we've got Sinead O'Connor, we've got Tom Tom Club. What's not to love? Exactly. It's just all around, just a a, a new wave kind of. I don't even know what to call it. It's just a, a new wave kind of block party. Yeah. So, <laughs> and it. What I really like about it. It could very easily go for a lot of sort of mob cliches mm-hmm. as far as music. It could be nothing but Frank Sinatra, and it's not. It actually goes with a lot of music that was very contemporary for the time, uh, which I really respect. Yeah, and and like you can look at this movie in, in tandem with something like Goodfellas, which came out two years later, and that's like it's so deeply like classic rock that it's almost a completely different movie but they're they're pretty similar but this one feels more hip and cool i think agreed also uh dean stockwell better than ray liotta any day yeah dean stockwell wasn't in the identical (laughs) few of us were (laughs) so all right well before we get into the movie uh why don't you take us to the poll joe oh yeah that's right so we had some polls from the clueless soundtrack which was a, a a great episode i had a yeah blast with that one that one was really fun and you guys seem to really like it so yeah we're all excited and there was so much music we just decided to run two polls so first up the first poll uh the muffs cover of kids in america won that one fairly easily with 37 percent of the vote uh supermodel was with second place with 30 percent uh coolio's rolling with my homies at 22 percent and then needs you around by the smoking popes only got 11 percent yeah, I'm actually surprised. I would have thought Supermodel would have taken that one, but they were all great, so I can't argue with any of them. In the second poll, Shake Some Action by Cracker took 35% of the votes. All the Young Dudes got uh, 29%, and then Here and Changes both took 17.5%. So, again, it's fairly even. Mm-hmm. And then, finally, we just put the two winners head-to-head, Kids in America versus Shake Some Action, and Kids in America won that poll by a 100%. Yeah, that would have been my vote. And you know I love Cracker. Yeah. But, but I, I think I would have had to go with uh, Kids in America. I, yeah, Kids in America, obviously the better song there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. look out for the poll for this episode. We usually release that the weekend after this episode airs. So that, go and, and uh, vote for your favorite song from the Married to the Mob soundtrack. 
Yes, indeed. Now, Libby, uh, real quick, just tell us a little bit about the movie. All right. So the movie follows Angela DeMarco, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, who, uh, after her husband, her cheating husband, uh, Frank the Cucumber DeMarco, (laughs) (laughs) this one goes pretty hard with the kooky names, uh, is killed by... Uh, Tony the Tiger Russo, after Tony catches uh, Frank with his lady friend, uh, she moves to the Lower East Side to a garbage apartment and tries to reinvent her life. Meanwhile, uh, Mike Downey, played by the very sexy Matthew Modine, and uh, his partner Ed, played by Oliver Platt, who looks like he's auditioning for the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, uh, He's a such a young baby-faced Oliver Platt. I don't know. Um, they are they are putting her under surveillance because they think she is the key to bringing down uh, Tony's whole enterprise. But unfortunately, Mike sort of becomes romantically involved with Angela. I mean, how can you not? It was Michelle Pfeiffer in 1988. Who would? Yeah, exactly. And there is quite a showdown in a honeymoon suite in Miami Beach. I won't spoil it for you because, well, you've probably already seen most of it on USA at 11 o'clock at night. And uh, if you haven't, go watch it. It's, it's actually, it's really funny. This movie is very funny. It's very weird. Um, and it is quite charming. The other X factor here is that Tony's wife thinks that Tony's cheating on her with Angela. So, so she keeps showing up to try and to scope out, you know, what's going on with Angela too. She's yes. super jealous. Yes, indeed. Now, um, Dean Stockwell was actually nominated for an Oscar yeah. for his role as Tony. Uh, he lost to Kevin Klein for A Fish Called Wanda. Meanwhile, uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was actually nominated as actress in a supporting role for Dangerous Liaisons. She was up against Joan Cusack in Working Girl. Oh, wow. They both lost to Gina Davis for The Accidental Tourist. Gina Davis, of course, from our episode on Earth Girls Are Easy, would later go on to star with Matthew Modine in the movie that ruined both their careers, uh, Cutthroat Island, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. So, And the movie that made me fall in love with Matthew Modine because he's smoking hot in that and he's got great abs and led me back to watching Married to the Mob probably a hundred times on VHS. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, it's, there this we is, go. Yeah, the, Married to the Mob has such a pedigree. I love it. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, and we, we forgot to mention, Joan Cusack plays a very small role in this. Of course, we saw her last on our episode of School of Rock. Um, meanwhile, I'm... Michelle Pfeiffer was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress, losing to Melanie Griffith of Working Girl. Um, She also, yeah, she was up against Jamie Lee Curtis in A Fish Called Wanda, Amy Irving in Crossing Delancey, and Susan Sarandon Sarandon in Bull Durham. I can't argue with that, honestly. Yeah. I I mean, Susan Sarandon losing for Bull Durham, I'm fine with. I'm not a Bull Durham fan. I'm completely fine with that. I'm completely fine with Susan Sarandon losing everything. That's fair. She destroyed our democracy. That's a million percent fair. <laughs> but meanwhile, uh, Mercedes Rule, who plays Connie, uh, and Dean Stockwell both won for Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress at the National Society of Film Critics. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, Dean Stockwell also won for won the uh, New York Film Critics Circle for Best Supporting Actor. He says this is one of his favorite roles. I can see that. He's having a lot mm-hmm. of fun in this one. Yes, indeed. You can tell he loves being just like, just that smarmy mob boss character. He, he's <laughs> he's making a meal of that that performance. Yeah, he has a, he has a good time. Oh boy, he has a you know the whole range. Oh yeah. Uh, so real quick, there's a little tiny bit of billboarding school to get through. Oh, because the album, believe it or not, this album did chart for just a, a brief shining moment. Uh, debuted on the charts on October 1st, 1988, at number 197. Mm-hmm. Okay. The number one album that week was Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. A- and the top soundtrack that week at number four was the soundtrack to <sighs> Cocktail. 
Okay. This was this was the, the the season of cocktail. I actually found that I was record shopping this weekend. And I found that in the bargain bin for ninety nine cents, and I thought of you, and then thought no, because so I think in my head I mixed it up with the color of money. <laughs> Look, every Tom Cruise movie is the same. I'll yeah. give you that. Uh, so this album lasted on the charts for exactly three weeks. Okay, it it peaked at one ninety seven and then just dropped off. Uh, the week it fell off the charts, Bon Jovi's New Jersey was the number one album, and Cocktail was still at number four. Oh, my God. So, yeah, we were in a very weird stage as we, you know, they're still still in the hair metal scene. Mm-hmm. Still a little bit with the uh, the new wave, but times were changing. It was 1988, and things are about to get weird. Yeah, and Jonathan Demme is one of those filmmakers, I think, who is more plugged into that than most. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, remember, his, one of his films immediately before this was uh, Stop Making Sense with the Talking Heads. Yes, and they are so, all over this album. Yeah, it, David Byrne does the, does the entire score for this album. Yes, and then the Tom Tom Club uh, has a song on the soundtrack. Absolutely. Um, it's one of their weird... I mean, Tom Tom Club and Talking Heads together, I mean, it's one of their weirder songs. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's very, by a, it's by very, a very by a wide margin. <laughs> <laughs> we'll so, it. yeah. So, uh, it's going to be a difficult time to talk about this album because so many of the songs aren't in the film as as we as we typically hear them. A lot of them are kind of backloaded into the end credits. So, I think what we're going to do is we're going to just go through the film real quick and tell you the songs that we know for a fact are there. And then after the fact, we'll circle back around and we'll discuss some of the ones that we missed. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Okay. Well, this is a mob film. It has to start with something Italian. And of course, we get Rosemary Clooney singing Mambo Italiano. Yes, which is not on the soundtrack. And it sort of sets you up like, okay, here we go. Another, you know, mob film. But then immediately squanders all of those expectations. Because um, we see Frank and his mm. associate getting on the train, the Metro North, uh, so that we're clear. And one, you remember that Alec Baldwin was so handsome. Oh yeah, this 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 was like Beetlejuice's Alec Baldwin. Yeah, like he hadn't become you know uh, Mr. Thirty Rock yet. Yes, but um, he his hair does look way too black. Like he like is that like shoe polish why is your hair that color <laughs> probably yeah it's it's a bad dye job but um they're pulling a hit and they pull it to new order's bizarre love triangle yes so let's go to a clip Now, this is Bernard Sumner's second time on the OST party. Previously, we heard him with Electronic on the Cool World soundtrack. Yeah, that's right. So, welcome back, Bernard. Um, it's a real trip when you realize that Joy Division and New Order are the same band minus one person. It, it's it's <laughs> really strange. There's that moment, if you weren't alive when New Order came about, and you don't remember the Joy Division New Order break, um, you know, on, with Ian Curtis's unfortunate suicide, um, it's a very weird moment when you realize that they are the same band because <laughs> they do not sound alike. There is no way that Level Terra's Apart sounds anything like Bizarre Love Triangle. Yeah, and like I think the one of the long like, running threads of this podcast is me learning that New Order and Joy Division are, are kind of the same band, but not the same. Yeah. Um, and I love this song. I don't think this was the first New Order song I ever listened to, but this was the reason I bought this soundtrack. It's because New Order <laughs> vinyl is hard to find. So you right, take what you yeah. can get. I've always loved this song. I've loved it for years. This is a slightly different version. It's got an extended outro, um, and it, it just has a slightly different mix. I couldn't tell you which one it is, but I've got a couple different versions of it, and this is slightly different than the others. 
Yeah, the the YouTube video that I pulled up, it literally calls this the married to the mob version. Okay. I don't know if that's official, but that's what I'm calling it. Yeah, now. but I just I love sort of the effervescent brightness of it. Mm-hmm. And this, like a couple other songs, it really in the title it uh, sets up kind of the central conflict. There is this bizarre love yeah, triangle between Angela, I uh, Mike. And Frank, or sorry, Angela, Mike, and Tony, or Angela, Tony, and Connie, mm-hmm. or Angela, Frank, and Karen. That's true, yeah. There's... Or <laughs> Tony, Karen, and Frank. Everything comes in threes. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I have a real funny story about this song. I'm... Okay. My friend Matthew and I were at the AWP conference in Chicago, I think in 2009, maybe 2010. And they had little dance parties every night. And there was usually open bar for an hour and some hors d'oeuvres. And, you know, you'd kind of hit those. And they had a DJ and they had a little dance floor. And they were playing this and there were no, there was no one on the dance floor, but what I believe were two sex workers they were oh in boy. they were not writers like you could just kind of tell that they were working the hotel they had on little matching negligees sort of like a porno version of Romeo and michelle's high school reunion like kind of see-through blue and pink negligees mm-hmm. and were like kind of grinding on each other and just i mean that's fine it was just it seemed out of place for a writer's conference. And this was the song they were dancing to. Wow. So every time I hear Bizarre Love Triangle, I think of those ladies. Wherever you are, I hope your life is wonderful. I liked your negligees. They were pretty. They seemed like they were having a good time. I, I hope they, uh, hey. I hope, I hope the trip was worth it. Yeah. Don't, don't, uh, Begrudging than that, yeah. I absolutely do not. Um, it was just very weird because everyone was way too shy to approach them. This was a room full of writers, and they were <laughs> awkward and staring. And it's just like, oh, okay, convention girls. That's fine. That's cool. Yeah, you do what you do your thing. Be safe. You do you. So, but uh, yeah. So I always think of them when I hear bizarre love triangle. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> But, I mean, for it to go into Bizarre Love Triangle when he shoots the guy, that is, that's a bold choice. Yeah, and it's a really, it's a wild scene, too, because you think this is going to be, like, some lighthearted comedy, and you get this really, like, disturbing kind of uh, mafia hit scene. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's it's lit with, like, this, the weird strobe lights from the train going by, all the lights and stuff, and it's it's creepy. And then, like when you remember this is a Jonathan Demi film, you're like, oh, right, he's kind of, he's about to do Silence of the Lambs. This makes perfect sense. Yes. And it, it's not the first Silence of the Lambs connection we're going to have. Oh, God, no. No, we'll talk about that when we get there. Yes. But um, it continues, the song continues, rather, into a salon where we see Joan Cusack with several foils in her hair. Oh, yeah. And we meet Angela, who just seems really depressed. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and they're all gossiping about her because she won't come to their card games and she won't, you know, won't come over and have dinner with them. She just doesn't seem happy. She's one of the, yeah, she's the mob wife that doesn't like being a part of the mob. Yeah. And probably she's unhappy because she has frizzy hair and she's wearing a belted sweater. <laughs> the costumes, by the way, were done by Colleen Atwood, who does a lot of the costumes for Tim Burton films. And they are so ugly and it's perfect. They're so tacky. I love it. That's amazing. Yes. I love that. She's like, oh, this this woman knows what she is doing. Um, and also, the did you recognize the actor who's doing her hair? No. His, his name is Charles Napier. He's in a lot of, of uh, Demi movies. He's Duke Phillips himself. Yes. Charles Napier. <laughs> well, I've never seen him. Like I've... He, like, he always gets typecast as, like, a cop or, like... Uh, you That's know, right, because he's in something wild as well. Yeah, an official person in a suit. That he's that kind of character. So, but they have him here playing extremely against type as a very flamboyant hairdresser, which is a lot. Which is a lot of fun. 
And you can tell he's enjoying it, too. He's yes. having a good time. And for more of our thoughts on The Critic, please see uh, The Secret of the Sailor Madness. Yeah. Or, in fact, any episode of this podcast, because we talk about The Critic a lot. Yeah. If The Critic had more musical numbers, we would talk about them all the time. Oh, yeah. There's a soundtrack to The Critic. We would have done it already. If there ever becomes a soundtrack to The Critic, we'll just end this podcast. Like, what better note to end on? We'll, we will produce the soundtrack to the critic ourselves just so we can do that episode. Yes, indeed. Um, I love it. All right. It'll feature a bonus of uh, John Lovett singing Ladies' Night from The Wedding Singer. <laughs> Be the bonus track. Vinyl Perfect. Only. Beautiful. Um, but her and Frank are arguing. She's not happy. She wants a divorce. Uh, you know, her kids play in Three Card Monty. Their house is filled with TVs and coffee makers and stuff that he's unloading they've got the ugliest furniture in the world yeah it's 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 gaudy and gross and like this is the 80s version of rich and it's just yes and of course this is where we meet um matthew modine uh as mike and oliver platt as ed they are spying on them we also then meet Hang on, I, I hang on. I, I got excited during that stakeout scene because I thought they were staking out a medieval times. Yes, and I it, was about to out, mention that. And it turned out that no, this is just the nightclub where all the mafia guys hang out. Yes, I thought the same thing. Because it's called the King's Court. So I just assumed, oh, that must be a medieval times. Well, everyone's dressed up in like Renaissance fair garb. I thought of you immediately. I was like, this is where <laughs> Joe's gonna have his next birthday. <laughs> if Libby doesn't talk about it, I I will. So oh, I was ready. <laughs> oh man. Uh, we also meet uh, Tony the Tiger Russo, played by Dean Fucking Stockwell, mm-hmm. and for some reason, uh, Mike starts growling. I guess he's trying to be like Tony the Tiger, but it's like, my love, do not do that. That's like that's not what Tony the Tiger says. Do not ever make that noise again, Matthew Modine. I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> Tony the Tiger showed up at the nightclub. That's great. <laughs> Stop it. I, I actually met Matthew Modine. Really? Yes. I met him at a uh, a book signing. He was he had a book come out about um, Full Metal Jacket, which I have still never seen. And I went because, obviously, as we've gone over, I was in love with him. I was living in New York City. I was totally broke, and I hadn't eaten that day. And he gave me a hug. He's like, you're shaking. And I was like, well, I'm just really excited to meet you. But the reality was I was about to faint because I was hungry. Um, <laughs> he was very sweet. He gave me a kiss on the cheek. Oh. I love him forever. He was very, he's extremely tall. <laughs> so he was nice. He posed for a picture. Good guy. Cool. So, yeah. Uh, do you want to tell your Matthew Modine story? Oh, yeah. I... Uh... I also had an encounter with Matthew Modine. He's one of the very few uh, celebrities who's actually interacted with me on Twitter. I'm <laughs> I'm afraid to tag him on Twitter because it would just be way too horny on him. I here's the thing. I didn't tag him on Twitter. <laughs> he just found you. He's stalking you. I made a, I made a crack about some movie he made three or four years ago. It was a, a shark. Well, Forty Seven Meters Down was the name of it. It was a shark movie. I just made fun of it, and he he apparently found that tweet and replied with a a, a laughing emoji. So. I made Matthew Modine laugh. Matthew Modine is a good dude. <laughs> this is an official We Love Matthew Modine podcast. As far as I know, he's got a good sense of humor. We're going to tag him in this, and he's going to hear how horny I am for him. Oh, my God. He's going to be like, hey, I remember that tweet. <laughs> so I, oh I feel like Matthew Modine should buy me dinner. Like, I was really hungry. You should have bought me dinner. Um, he didn't know that. No, but now I'm telling him. So Matthew Modine, oh. if you would oh, like to. Oh, he owes you one. Yeah, if Matthew Modine would like to buy me dinner, he's anytime. I'm I'm available. That's fair. That's He lives in New York City. The the offer is out there. Yeah. So, I'm just putting that out there. Anyway. <laughs> so, we understand that Tony has a thing for the waitress Karen, which is not a very medieval times name. It's also not a very sexy waitress name. No, not really. Karen. He gives her a very fancy necklace, and they're going to meet at the Fantasia Suites. Oh, baby. But it turns out she's also later meeting uh, Tony. Sorry, she's also meeting... I'm going to blow this every time. Frank the Cucumber. Yeah, she's also meeting Frank the Cucumber at uh, the Fantasia Suite. And long story short, Tony kills both of them. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
The homicide detective who investigates it is Colin Quinn. Baby Colin Quinn. Yes, indeed. Um, We also learn that um, Mike, who has a very 1998 boy haircut, also lives in an apartment with four cats. He is literally my ideal man. And when he finds out about the murder, he he leaps out of his bed into a Wallace and Gromit-esque contraption that puts his suit on for him. It's amazing. Yes. He's got some very, again, mob-esque pattern that is not very good, and I don't like it. Um, And, of course, after the funeral, we see that uh, uh, Tony has got eyes for Angela and puts Mm -hmm. the moves on her, which Mike and Ed capture on film. And also Connie captures from the kitchen window mm-hmm. at that exact moment. And, but, of course, they don't watch long enough to see her, like, reject him. Well, they yeah. just see, oh, God, she kissed him. And there is a confrontation. And then Angela is out of there. She packs her bags and moves away. Yes, she gives away everything to Goodwill. A lot of ugly furniture. <laughs> Including that awful refrigerator that like, he gift wrapped for her. That Tony gift wrapped for her. Yeah, and the swan table. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But uh, then, yeah, Angela and Tony move to uh, New York City, the Lower East Side, and we hear on the soundtrack, it's Jane Child with the song Welcome to the Real World, which is not on the soundtrack. Yes, Uh, which is too bad because it's kind of a cool song. Uh, Yeah, I I liked that one. And, of course, (laughs) I wrote the note, why is the bathtub in the middle of the kitchen? And then Joey said exactly that. Yes. Um, and his mom said, I'll, I'll tell you later. I still want to know. Yeah, I don't think we're ever told. Uh, although, is, is oh, it a sex thing? No, I think it's just an old apartment thing. Yeah, I kind of okay. dig it. And as she starts looking for a job, she gets off the bus. In the background, you can see the uh, West 72nd and Broadway subway stop. And my grandmother uh, lived on West 74th. That was my subway stop. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So Beacon Theater, Gray's Papaya, my grandmother's apartment. So I was, it was, you know, nice little thing like, hey, that's, that's my na- my old neighborhood. It's a neat little time capsule. Yeah. So I was happy to see that. Um, meanwhile, Mike is sort of following her around and she talks to a guy who tells her that the chicken licking is hiring. Specifically, she talks to a street performer playing the spoons. Yes. And- he does not miss a beat as he tells her that, hey, this place is higher. That is a very Jonathan Demme uh, touch. That's a very cool little touch. Right yeah. there. Um, now, the ma- the owner and manager of the Chicken Lickin' is played by uh, Tracy Walter, who we last saw as Miller in Repo Man. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> this is a really kind of homecoming episode for a lot of these characters. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of these character actors just keep popping up, and it's just so fun to see them in stuff like this. Yeah. Except except for in this instance, because Mr. Chicken Lickin' is, is kind of a creeper. Yeah, he spies on her, she steals Matthew Modine's milkshake, and throws it at him, and storms out. And then, uh, Mike goes to her apartment and taps her phones. This is an open invitation. Matthew Modine, if you want to tap my phone, you are welcome to do so. You're going to get a lot of tapes about Steely Dan. Uh, well, yeah, there, warning. there is that. Um, <laughs> Dean Stockwell is also stalking her. He's bringing her flowers and olive oil. And and honestly, if Dean Stockwell wants to bring me flowers and olive oil, he is also welcome to do that. <laughs> can't, a mean, girl just move, can't a girl just move to the big city without being stalked by at least six people? <laughs> no. And also, I bet he knows where to get the good stuff. He probably really does. Actually, if you got off at the West 72nd Street Station at 72nd and Broadway, you could go to Fairway and get their olive oil. And they used to have an olive oil bar, and it was spectacular. Ooh, mm-hmm. nice. I always get olive oil when I go down there. This is, we get our next song here. Okay. Because she finds a beauty shop, a black-owned beauty shop, Um called hello gorgeous and when she goes inside we hear ziggy marley playing time bombs let's go to a clip i 
it's weird to hear this kind of uh, this kind of a song with like a '80s synth beat behind it. But you know, it kind of works. Yeah, I'm. I'm not huge on reggae. It's just really not my thing. Um, I do like that they used a black artist in a black hair salon mm-hmm. because yeah. it would be very easy to just not do that. Um, so I think it's it's shorthand, and I think this character Rita, who is played by a sister Carol East, mm-hmm. um, who's also a uh, Jamaican recording artist. Um, I I don't think they use her effectively. She is kind of just um, window dressing, unfortunately. But I do like that it is at least culturally appropriate. It would have been very cool if they'd used one of her songs, but alas. Yeah, I mean it, it's it it works well enough, but it's kind of it is kind of just like screenplay sh- shorthand for like we need a reason for the FBI to try to ruin Angela's life. There is that part, which we'll get to. Um, this song is, it's good. It's pleasant enough. I don't think I would pick it out as the first song I listened to on this soundtrack, but it, it closes out the uh, A-side on the vinyl, and it's it's a good way to close out an A-side. It's got a good groove. Yeah, it's, it's a neat track, yeah. yeah. And, it, and this is also one that will come back at the end, during the end credits. Yes. So she runs yeah. into... Uh, Mike, who is now disguised as a plumber. I'm I'm not going to make the obvious joke there, but just you've already heard it in your head. Um, (laughs) And she asks him out. It's a very cute scene. It is. It's so cute. She's wearing a cute dinosaur tee and I love her. She brings him cold tablets. And her son runs up and like immediately asks about like cavemen and dinosaurs. And Mike like bends down and he literally just like quotes the Cosmos TV series to him. I'm like, okay, you watched a Carl Sagan show. We're all very impressed, Mike. Mm-hmm. Which incidentally I watched when I had the flu as he is pretending to have, which is not a good idea. Do not watch Cosmos when you have the flu. Yeah. <laughs> watch Cosmos when you're, well, I don't know. Cause like whacked out on, on NyQuil is a pretty good state of mind for Cosmos. Yeah, but you don't know like what is real and what you dreamed. It's it'll it'll fuck you up. That's just like a little piece of advice. <laughs> Carl Sagan is like human quaaludes. It's great. It was bad. I love him. Um, but so they go out dancing, and it looks very fun. We'll get back to the dancing in a minute. Yeah, we'll come back to that because they're having a they're having a blast and. Uh, I I wish I could, too. I wish I could have that kind of fun right now. I know. That'd be awesome. Um, But meanwhile, uh, Tony is out driving. They go to Burger World, Mm -hmm. which also sounds awesome. And they notice that there's a new clown who is played by Chris Isaac. (laughs) He's fallen on hard times already. Yes. I think (laughs) this is as good a place as any to play uh, his song Suspicion of Love because it does appear on the soundtrack. Right. Yeah, let's do that. It plays over the end credits, but here we go. Now, now, like I said, with Time Bums and Ziggy Marley, like it's weird to hear this kind of song with an 80s dance beat behind it, but it kind of works. Mm. I liked it. I, I, I thought it had a good groove, but Chris Isaac is a little too nasally for me, mm-hmm. and it kind of goes on a little long, and like his, his voice, I can only take it very, very short doses. And I like him. I love, you know, like Wicked Games, but his voice is right. just a little too gummy for me did you ever get the impression that chris isaac was an actor kind of play acting at being a uh, a rockabilly star or whatever you want to call this whatever he's doing this here? is like crooning yeah i always yeah. got the sense he wanted to be a rockabilly star but ended up crooning but was also too handsome for anything right so i think people just kind of assumed he was an actor so he started appearing in things yeah well he had the chris isaac show yeah that's which true is very funny 
But um, I I like the little touch that he is, of course, on the soundtrack, but also uh, playing this clown who then shoots up their car. It would have been a fun trick to like have some of the, some more of these people show up in the film, like Ziggy Marley or or Debbie Harry or even David Byrne. Mm-hmm. So um, I I feel like there probably was a missed opportunity there, but mm. alas, who are we to tell Jonathan Demi what to do? Right. I mean, the more I th- now that I think about it, that might have been too distracting. Like maybe Chris Isaac was enough. Yeah, know? and he's got the little <laughs> tear, um, and he's in kind of the clown makeup, and you wouldn't know it's him. Uh, Except this is definitely him. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a real blink and you miss it role. Yeah, because he, he shows up in, in the drive through window as, as like the drive through clown. And all of a sudden he's just shooting at Tony. Mm-hmm. And it's all, all you're getting is like gunshots and you don't even register that it's Chris Isaac anymore. Yeah, it's a pretty killer scene. Uh, no it is. pun intended. But <laughs> Dean Stockwell just goes all, all out. Why did I laugh at that? I I don't know. It's inexcusable. Um, but meanwhile, Mike and Angela are having a real good time. Mm-hmm. They are dancing up a storm. They are drinking some sort of punch that he can't pronounce. Um, it reminded me a little bit of um, Havana in Guys and Dolls. Mm-hmm. He brings her like a punch that he says is spiked with a sort of native flavoring Bacardi. And then, of course, you know, she loosens up and she's dancing and then. It's kind of the same thing. Like he brings drinks and they're all dancing and crazy and it's super fun. Yeah. And of course, you know, he's he's on the date with her because he's trying to get information out of her. But then, no, no, he starts to actually fall for her, which I get. Well, <laughs> I yeah. 100% understand. Again, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. 1988. Um, yeah. But they go back to her apartment. But yeah, he he makes he makes some drinks. She changes out. She changes into something a little more comfortable. Yeah. And. In the background, we hear uh, Q Lazarus's Goodbye Horses. <laughs> so let's play a little bit of that. This is not the most famous use of goodbye horses. <laughs> the most famous use of goodbye horses is in uh, Clerks 2. No, no, wait. Stop it's it. In, it's in The <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, yes. which Clerks 2 shamelessly steals. Yes. Um, <sighs> and I get that this song is about transcendence, and it's got this real... Uh, sort of new wave new age vibe to it um but i don't know it just feels weird here like i get that it kind of like transcends she's transcending like her background but i just i'm gonna have to say silence of the lambs uses it more effectively i mean you definitely as soon as you hear it you think of silence of the lambs and it's a very specific like image in your head right now yeah sorry i know And, and this was what three years before silence yeah. of the lambs yeah this was 88 and that was 91 so yeah yeah so but i i think here it might just have been this was a song that either jonathan demi or david byrne really liked mm-hmm. and uh when silence of the lambs came around they just maybe just thought well it worked once let's do it again <laughs> yep except that now it, you just can't you can't hear it Nope. Without thinking like, of this, the Lambs. This song does not belong to this movie anymore. No, and especially given that this is a romantic scene. I'm sure it was a good idea in 1988. Yes, it was a great idea in 1988. Unfortunately, it is one that has aged very poorly. Yeah. Yikes. So. Not um, a bad song. It's just times have changed. Yeah, and it's they used it in a far more effective manner, I guess. Mm-hmm later on just a creepy yeah. one so um but yeah so the 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 evening is going well and she puts the moves on him but then almost at that exact moment who bursts through the door it's connie <laughs> and she has a great line here this is my neighbor mike this is my friend connie whose husband are you dog face <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is a drink out your nose funny line 
that is a spit take. <laughs> so, um, I think and I think you hear that line again too. Like somebody else like looks at at Mike and says, "Who's the dog face?" <laughs> when she comes back in in the end. Yeah. Um. Or no, there, no. I I want to say there was another instance where like you hear it somebody else say that. Uh, I don't remember. Like it's a running gag that they just think he's super ugly. Apparently. No, he's so cute. So I know, cute. I know. And he's not as ripped as he was in Cutthroat Island. Good God. He's not as ripped as he was in Vision Quest. Also, good God. <laughs> but she finally tells him everything about who she used to be, what she's trying to do. And they cuddle up and they kiss and it's so romantic. But of course, here comes Ed pounding on the door with, I believe it's the Daily News. Yeah, it's the newspaper the next morning that uh, that Tony had had killed a bunch of rival gangsters trying to murder him. Yes, which we don't know why they're trying to murder him, except that they're just like rival gangsters, and that's what rival yeah. gangsters do. Yeah, I this guess? is what the mob does. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, the headline is hamburger homicide, <laughs> and we very very briefly hear Debbie Harry's cover of the Castaways' 1965 hit Liar Liar. Let's go to play. And again, Jonathan Demme and David Byrne are no dummies because Obviously, the theme of, like, lying and who you're pretending to be and who you're, who you are, uh, runs throughout the film. Suspicion of Love, obviously, the same thing. So, a song called Liar Liar is a great addition. Yeah, it just makes sense. This song is only available on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... If, if you don't have this soundtrack, you're not going to find it like on one of her greatest hits compilations. But I I would not have guessed that this was a cover because it sounds so much like a Blondie song. It, it really does. Yeah. yeah, it's a little it's a little bit, I think, simple for a Blondie song. But I think it, that just that just be, is a factor of it being a cover. Mm hmm. So, but yeah, I, I really dig just like this. It's just the sound of Debbie Harry just kind of hollering these vocals. It's just so much fun. Yeah. Um, but there's a really, really great arrangement behind it that I'm, mm-hmm. um, you know, this isn't Blondie. This is just her as a solo artist, but um, there's just a really, really bright arrangement. Mm-hmm. And it just, it really, really kicks. And it's kind of a shame that they only get her saying liar, liar before they catch the next scene. Right, they kind of just cram it in there because you got Debbie Harry, you don't waste it. Yeah, but mm, they... yeah, they maybe they did in this one. Yeah, but I, I want to point out real quick that um, this is one of seven of the soundtrack's ten songs that are exclusive to this album. Mm-hmm. Like only three of them appear anywhere elsewhere. Yes. So um, I think yeah, Demi and and Byrne they definitely had some pull in the in the late eighties to get this kind of talent to record new music for this album Mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing yeah so but they haul the fbi hauls in angela and immigration takes rita which is rude and they say some pretty racist shit about her which is like don't say that about rita she's not your sassy black sidekick yeah she's she's done nothing wrong yeah um but they use it to get to angela who then goes to Tony to set up a honey trap. Yeah. There's a great exchange between Angela and the FBI where she says, like, God, you people work just like the mob. There's no difference. Well, there's a big difference, Mrs. DeMarco. The mob is run by murdering, thieving, lying, cheating psychopaths. We work for the President of the United States of America. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Oh, social commentary. I love it. indeed. Now, is that Grandpa Munster playing Uncle Joe? That's Al Lewis, yeah. yeah. That cracked me up. And they agree to go to Miami for, I guess, like the mob convention. Yeah, that's, that's you know, twice a year you have to go. Yeah. Um, or else you lose your mob credentials. Now, I thought it was funny because uh, Connie wakes up and she yells out, Tony, Tony, Tony. <laughs> 
who are not on the soundtrack, but I feel like they should be. They could be. They could have been. <laughs> um, Matthew Modine, or sorry, Mike is dressed like a pilot. Uh, Matthew Modine can fly my plane anytime. Wow. I had a whole bunch of these prepared. Oh, right, because there's that montage where he just he's wearing every costume. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, okay. He's like all the village people rolled into one. <laughs> you should have been a construction worker. Mm. Um, Connie runs up to Tony in the airport, tells him, I thought you were, you know, sleeping with Angela, and I would kill you if I ever saw you with that slut. And she goes with the idea that she's also going to fly down to Miami. And she says, book the honeymoon suite. And then she has to find out. He's already booked the honeymoon suite. Oh, that no. bitch. <laughs> so like now, this, this movie doesn't really have jokes, but it's very funny. It is. It's very, very, very funny. Um, and so Mike follows them down. Um, he's wearing a very loud set of Hawaiian separates. <laughs> he's playing Magnum P.I. It's okay. <laughs> Um, and while his, while Tony's goons take care of Mike, um, Tony gives Angela the same necklace that he gave Karen before he shot her. Ooh. Yeah. At this point, yeah, do you think he knows what's up? He does. She gives him the ring, because when they bring in Mike, they get out his lighter, he tears off his mustache, he looks for, he finds the lighter, which has uh, a little knife in it, mm-hmm. pries open the ring, and finds the listening device. So he knows. And uh, Mike gives this whole speech about how the whole room is bugged, and there's going to be 50 agents who are going to come busting down the door. We hear a knock, but it's actually worse, because it's Connie. <laughs> with, the, with the power of 50 FBI agents... It- Connie bursts down the door. <laughs> yes. And there is a shootout. Everyone is uh, either killed or arrested. Frank, sorry, Tony is arrested for the murders of Frank and Karen. Uh, he has a dream that Connie finds him and shoots his nuts off, but wakes yeah. up in jail. Uh, Angela returns to the hair salon, where thankfully a white lady now knows how to do ethnic hairstyles, so thank goodness for that. Um, Mike continues to stalk her. He comes in, she washes his hair, she doesn't use conditioner, which weirds me out, and they're in love. The end. The end. Cut to the end credits (laughs) play this amazing montage of what is apparently like deleted scenes yeah somewhere there is a marvelous extended cut of this film so release the demi cut you bastards yes please give us a three hour cut of married to the mob i want to i want to see it in black and white in four by three on hbo max i want to watch 10 different chapters of married to the mob you can do it i know you've got the money (laughs) i want jason momoa to play uh uh, Tony in all of the extra scenes that were cut it's gonna be great <laughs> I cannot wait um, so yes take us through these songs so there's six songs that run over the end credits and it really is kind of it's some of the songs you've heard already and others that just they I guess they just felt like putting in the end credits so you get you get a reprise of Bizarre Love Triangle mm-hmm. you get Suspicion of Love by Chris Isaac you get Too Far Gone by The Feelies. Do yes. we want to play a clip of that one real yes, quick? Yes, we do. Let's do it. When they found him laughing, they caught him running. He was down his knees, he was under the table. Getting excited, feeling excited. The temperature's rising, fever is rising. Oh, oh, yeah, ready to go. Oh, oh, yeah, already gone. Oh, oh, This has, like, that real talking head style frantic guitar Mm -hmm. on and now these were one of uh the first sort of indie rock bands rem took a lot of inspiration from them but they're much more polished than a lot of the stuff you would hear on like or at least by this song they are um much more polished than you would hear on something like irs records yeah and you can you can definitely hear the influence of of like rem and 
a lot of like the jangle pop stuff that would come after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the band name is apparently a reference to Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Yes, and not uh, a reference to the stuff they used to pack in with old computer games, like I thought. What? Do you, do you remember Feelies? No. <laughs> old computer games from like the early, like the late eighties and early nineties. They would have all this extra stuff in it, like. Uh, you know, maps of the game game world or, or special, you know, coins and icons and just things that you don't get if you just pirate the game. They were called feelies. Okay, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, they actually, um, they've been performing together since the early 80s. Same lineup. And wow. um, they also show up on Jonathan Demme's Something Wild, which also has New Order. They do Temptation. Um, but they are credited there as the Willies, which is their cover band. That's oh, when they do cover okay. songs. They call themselves the Willies. The Will- the Willies and the Feelies. Yes. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I really, this was um, one of the songs that I really, really liked on the soundtrack that definitely kind of took from this one. Yeah, my, my last note on this one was that there's just plain not enough of it. Mm-hmm. I would listen to like 10 more minutes of this. Yes. Uh, so then also after that, we get the Pixies with Isla de Encanto, which is not on the soundtrack. No. I guess they just decided, this is, this sounds good. Sure. Uh, we get Liar Liar by Debbie Harry, and then we get Time Bums by Ziggy Marley. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the end. I think there's some also some more uh, David Byrne uh, orchestral score, but that's pretty much the end credits. Yes, and none of the orchestral score is included on the soundtrack, which uh, should be noted is titled Music from the Film, Married to the Mob. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of wish we had gotten some of that because it's it's pretty good music. Yeah, I really really like it a lot. Um, it doesn't sound like David Byrne. There's definitely sort of a maturity there. Not to say that the Talking Heads are immature, but they could be very set in their sound. Mm-hmm. And I, while they have a very diverse sound and change it up a lot, this sounded much more like a score yeah it, it's got a little bit of that kind of world music sort of vibe that david Byrne kind of eventually goes on to be a big part of mm-hmm. like in the in the scene where um, mike and angela go on that date to the nightclub i wonder if a lot of that music might have been david Byrne's. Score. i hope so because it, it's it's like all a lot of like the bongos and the percussion stuff that sounds very david Byrne to me mm-hmm. um we have a couple more songs that we want to talk about Yes. So uh, the big one, for me at least, is Sinead O'Connor's uh, Jump in the River. Let's go to a clip of that. I I love everything that I've heard of Sinead O'Connor, um, and I always sort of thought of her as very melodic. I think probably Nothing Compares to You is the first song I heard of hers, of course. So when I discovered this one, I, I was delighted because it's got this kind of low-key new wave shuffle, and it just it kind of surprised and delighted me. Like, this was not what I pictured her as. Yeah, and... I guess and I, this pun very much not intended. It's kind of weird that the soundtrack kind of throws you into the deep end with this because it yeah. just it starts and you're just like, whoa, where am I? Yeah. And I, I wish I knew where this was in the film, because this to me feels like it should open it rather than Mambo Italiana. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. This is a great opening music. Uh, it is. The line, it's all been a gorgeous mistake is a standout for me. Mm hmm. If you have like any photosensitivity at all, maybe don't go watch the music video because it is very, it is full of like quick cuts and very jarring sort of editing effects. Yeah. But uh, we're just looking out for you guys. We're, yeah, it's a very it's a very eighties music video is what we're saying. Yes, indeed. <laughs> you uh, know, I like to I like to add music videos to our uh, show notes. I might leave this one off and I'll just say, hey, go check this one out on your own. Mm-hmm. Or you could put a warning on it. <laughs> That's true. I could always just do that. Yeah. I'm. Um, but yeah, no, this is a great song. And like, if you don't, 
if all you know of Sinead O'Connor is nothing compares to you, this is very jarring. But I like this. Yeah, I, like this. I really, yeah. really like this one a lot. Wow, this was this actually I I have it on the soundtrack, and I actually found the forty five and was playing it uh, last week as part of my Lilith Fair uh, record Saturday. Oh, nice! And I hadn't listened to it in a while uh, until then, and I thought I forgot how much I love this song. <laughs> how much I love her. And my friend Matthew always said, Sinead O'Connor could burn down an orphanage. And I'd just be like, eh, she's got her reasons. <laughs> I mean, it must have been a Catholic orphanage, right? <laughs> really, any orphanage. She's got her reasons. She knows Probably. more than than any of us. She's a modern day Cassandra. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Poor Sinead O'Connor. No one listens to her. Yeah. Uh, so. But yeah, moving on. Do you... <laughs> Lippy does your dog bite. (laughs) So this is the Tom Tom Club, which is the Talking Heads sans David Byrne. Um, (laughs) I'll let you take this one. Yeah, this one's called Devil Does Your Dog Bite. Let's go to a clip. Oof. Yes, but does the devil do drugs? He he must. He <laughs> has to. <laughs> this is a wild song. Yeah, this one actually, I got, um, I and maybe it's just the, the sort of growled lyrics. It reminded me a lot of Man Man. I don't mm. know if you listen to them. They're I'm, sort I'm of, kind of familiar. Yeah, again, um, you know, definitely came out of the talking heads. Um, they were very multi-instrumentalist, kind of weird experimental music and i have a feeling the tom tom club was a big influence on them probably yeah i'm i was kind of thinking about this one because i was thinking about the lyrics and i you could kind of interpret this as being about angela because she does she's very demure she's not connie you know, she's not she's not the dog that bites. And with uh oh, okay. with Frank being the, the titular devil. Frank's wife, Angela, she's she's the one the kind of the odd girl out of the, the mob wives. Mm-hmm. And she's she's the one without any mob teeth, I guess, if you want to put yeah, it. Yeah, she doesn't want to be part of this life. Right. So um but this one it, it took a minute to sort of get into yeah. And then then you're sort of like, okay, I can do the Tom Tom Club. This is good. <laughs> yeah, I, I I generally like the Tom Tom Club, but the the song, this one, I can't get I keep getting hung up on just the the that one lyric, the title lyric. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's obviously kind of a, a riff on the line from Devil Went Down to Georgia. Right? Grandma did your dog bite, no child, no. Yeah. So, so kind of a weird interpretation I, of it. Uh, a little think, bit, to, yeah. To take that and then create this whole, this whole song around it, and then that's—I mean, honestly, that's Tom Tom Club to a T. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> okay. Now I did—I do know this song. It's like it's not original to this album. This comes. This is it comes from like a very obscure like it's an, a bonus track on the Japanese release mm-hmm. of the Tom Tom Club's third album. I know, so weird. And. Yeah, so I guess Jonathan Demi thought, "Hey, why not uh, shine some light on this one?" Yeah, and it it opens the uh, the B side, the yeah. record. That's a that's a fun place for it. I yeah, um, we've also got a song called "Queen of Voodoo" by the Voodooist Corporation. I don't understand a single lyric of this, uh, but I really like it. Let's go to a clip. It's kind of hypnotic, uh, and no information exists about it. It was released as the B-side to Debbie Harry's Liar Liar. And that's it. The band does not really exist. There's nothing. I would love to know more about this band, simply because I cannot take the idea that nothing else exists of it. Were they yeah, friends every... of Jonathan Demi's? Like, who were they? 
it it's possible I mean, is this is this like their way of of trying to get some kind of like rita-esque sound on the soundtrack and it if so why did they do this and why didn't they use it it's very confusing I'm, yeah i'm not sure um and i yeah. i may just yeah i don't know That's, we we do not know anything depth. about this band so if you know anything about the voodooist uh corporation please let us know yeah absolutely I mean, even the fontanelles have a three-song ep <laughs> exactly but you know it, it, it reminds me of the the Spanish language tracks off of uh, True Stories, like I could not find the lyrics anywhere on the internet. Yeah. But they must exist somewhere, somewhere. right? So, somewhere they like must. A- I was thinking about True Stories the other day because I was watching Summer of Soul, which features a performance by uh, Papa Staples and the Staples Singers. Oh, nice. So, Papa Legba. So, that's true. We've gone this whole thing without talking about True Stories. Yeah, so, but I course- mean, this is kind of, this is taking place immediately post-True Stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the uh, the talking heads were definitely on the way out at this point. So I think David Byrne doing his thing with the uh, producing the score and then kind of Jonathan Demme introducing the Tom Tom Clubs into it. I don't know who's responsible for it, but it might have been David Byrne kind of trying to offer a fig leaf to the rest of the band. Mm, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> that's me making stuff up. I don't know. Yeah, but, that's that is 100 percent speculation. <laughs> Knowing David Byrne, probably not true. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think the last song we've got is uh, Brian Eno yeah. covering uh, William Bell's 1961 single, uh, You Don't Miss Your Water. Let's go to a clip. But when you left me This is another another 60s cover, which I, I feel like we're getting a lot of on this album, but this is one of those songs that's apparently been covered dozens of times. Mm-hmm. The one I'm familiar with is by Otis Redding. Yes. And in my mind, like, this song belongs to him. Yeah, this is not a great cover. It's uh, twangy, and I get that it's sort of, lo- like, lonesome and romantic, and uh, mm-hmm. you can interpret it as either being uh, homesick or, you know, lovesick. Uh, it's off-putting. It really is. I felt really kind of uncomfortable listening to it, uh, just in the sense that there was something not quite malicious, but not not pure intent, I think. Not really the spirit of the film, is it? No. And I don't know where you would put this in the film, if it is is in the film at all. I don't know where I would have put it. Yeah. Maybe... This is a very yeah. very weird inclusion it's what closes out the album and i do not understand why it's there uh yeah not really a fan of this one no. I, gotta be, I gotta be honest yeah this is probably the weakest track mm-hmm. um barring the unfortunate association with goodbye horses that's not goodbye horses fault yeah i mean goodbye horses is is fine on its own the tom tom club track is fine on its own this is kind of just inscrutable yeah i don't know yeah. I'm sure the Brian Eno fans out there are so mad at us right now. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. It. But um, yeah, no, this soundtrack, it's it's tight. It's under 40 minutes. Uh half of it we couldn't find in the movie. But as an album, I think this one really stands out. This is one of the better ones we've done. Yeah, it's very eclectic. I I like the mix of genres. I like sort of the everything has kind of that late 80s sort of feel to it. It's definitely a time capsule. Yeah, but it, it it doesn't fall into that 80s trap that we've seen with things like Rami and Michelle's High School Reunion and uh, The Wedding Singer, which, of course, yeah, are looking it, back, it is, it's it's a contemporary 80s feel. Uh, right. But this it's is... taking some stuff that you might not have heard on the radio, with the exception of probably uh, Bizarre Love Triangle and uh, Jump in the River. Right. I think I liken this one more to like the Nine and a Half Weeks album. This is better than nine and a half weeks. Oh, 100%. But like, it's kind of the, yeah. that same sort of like mid to late 80s sort of feel to it. Yeah. Every, everything kind of kind of has the same sort of produced quality. It's 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 eclectic, but not in a way that n- where none of it feels out of place, except for, you know, the Brian Eno track. Yeah. Um, Suspicion of Love would have been great on nine and a half weeks. 
It really would have. I I'm was really thinking su- about that. Surprised there isn't any Chris Isaac on Nine and a Half Weeks. Wicked Games. Dude, that... Yeah, yeah. Although I don't think Wicked Games have been recorded yet. A Chris Isaac song of that caliber, certainly. But yeah, that's Married to the Mob. It's. I feel like this is a pretty underrated film. Yeah. No one, no one really talks about this one anymore. Yeah, it was one of those that, like you said, played on cable a lot. Uh, the soundtrack never really had a breakout hit, uh, but it's solid. It's on HBO Max, mm-hmm. so you can just yep. watch it. If you if you can't find a physical copy, which apparently is quite difficult, which it's, is it's on HBO Max. Very strange because I'm pretty sure my copy was like five bucks in a discount bin somewhere. Yeah, this is one that I just assumed I would be able to find in like a, a really cheap used bin somewhere, and no, mm-hmm. not at all. So, I guess all you married to the mob fans bought it up. That's true. For five dollars in a used bin. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that is Married to the Mob. Yes, uh, we indeed. had a good time with this one and I'm I'm excited for uh whatever next whatever else is is up for the OST party next time. Yes. So what are we doing next time, Joe? <laughs> Livy, I'm so sorry. If you know anything about me, you know I love nonsense and I've chosen a very a very good piece of nonsense next time. We're talking about the 1994 live action adaptation of The Flintstones. Oh boy. Um 1994 was a weird year. We're going to have some fun with this one. It was weird. Yeah, this if, is surreal. If nothing else, we get a couple of appearances by the B52, excuse me, the BC52s. Yeah, but is uh Matthew Modine going to come and explain to us that humans and dinosaurs actually didn't exist at the same time that there were millions of years between them? No, but <laughs> What if I? T- what if we traded Matthew Modine for Kyle McLaughlin? That's not a great crickets. Trade. Crickets. Not a great oh trade. my god. Okay, fine. What about John Goodman? Mm. He's six foot three and maintains a consistent panda bear shape. Libby he does. He does. But you know my feelings for Rick Moranis. This is true. Well, at the very least, I, I will have a, f- a fun little piece of, of history for you about the Flintstones. Oh, movie. I cannot wait. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Uh, we, we, make, we make fun of it, but it's going to be a fun time. Yeah. Uh, so if you have any questions or comments, uh, you can send those to us at OST Party on Twitter. Email us anything you want at, at ostpartypod at gmail.com. Uh, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday, or you can listen to me over on the Shattered Shield podcast. We're winding to a close with season seven. Joe, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cordial Wombat, or you can listen to me yell about Christmas movies all year round on the Christmas Creeps podcast. Uh, last week, we just put out an episode on Maybe one of the weirdest and worst Christmas movies we've ever seen called A Karate Christmas Miracle. One, I feel like you say that to me every single time we do this podcast. And two, oh my God. I also, like, I I don't doubt you because I I feel like you watch worse movies every time. I am never not talking about A Karate Christmas Miracle. (laughs) Oh boy. It's a fun time. Anywho, that's going to do it for the OST party. So until next time, friends, I've been Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Your movies make us scream and cry. We wish you were.